Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Hey, uh, welcome to church. If we haven't met, I'm Sam, one of the team here. We are spending the next four weeks looking at a book of the Bible called the Psalms. A book of the Bible because the Bible is not a book, it's a series of books. One of them in that is called the Psalms. And one of the reasons why, or the reason why we're going to look at the Psalms for four weeks, and I encourage you to read along and read a psalm a day and to get a sense of what they're talking about. Probably the main reason why we're going to look at the, the psalms is this, is that I'm conscious that, I guess, my, the pastor's heart within me, I'm conscious that we'd come out of a five-week teaching series around work and we talk about big, heady, practical topics like that. And I'm conscious that throughout all of that period, you know, my nine to five, my Monday to Thursday of being a pastor is spent not necessarily worrying about messages but it's visiting a northsider who's fallen over and just about uh, crushed their spinal cord and was left in hospital uh, there's been northsiders during that time who have been admitted to palliative care there have been northsiders who have lost their jobs there's been northsiders whose relationships have broken down and so I'm constantly conscious that when we gather here like this there is always a, a base level white noise of emotion that's going on beneath the surface right and what I was wrestling with is, well, how do, how do I speak into that, Lord? And the answer was, uh, God said, well, I've, I've already spoken into it. It's called the Psalms. Why don't you look at that? Because when you look at the book of Psalms, the Psalms is God's case book into the, the condition, the ultimate case book onto, into the human condition and human emotions. And notice how I said case book, not, not textbook. It won't tell you what to do. It is just literally principle after it's not a bunch of principles it's literally case after case after case of just raw human emotion um anger and bitterness and frustration and shame and guilt and joy and worship and wonder are uh, all of this within this book every human condition you can think of is in this book and so what a great place to look hey if we want to Look at how we deal with human emotion. And when you look at it, it, it should surprise you. And the reason it should surprise you is uh, this book will deal with human emotions way differently than how our society deals with emotions. You know, how does our society deal with emotions? I think one of two ways. Our society says when it comes to your emotions, you're either a slave to them or you stuff them. You know, you just push them down deep. Uh, you're either controlled by them or you just push them deeper and deeper and deeper. And yet the Psalms, when you look at them, says don't, don't be a slave to them. Don't, don't stuff them. There's another way. Um, pray your emotions to God. In other words, in a world where it is so tough to be honest with people today, right? It's, it's tough to be honest with family members and friends. The Psalms say, for heaven's sake, in a world where it's so tough to be honest with your emotions, at least be honest to God. And so... Bring all of that stuff, all of, all of the emotions and all the junk and all the things that you and I uh, are hiding beneath the surface this morning so well because we put on our Sunday best. We look like we've got it all together. It says, look, if, if, if there's one place, just, just bring it in all of its rawness, in all of its ugliness, bring it to God. And so one of the hardest things... Um, to deal with, and one of the things that I see as a pastor that people are often afraid of bringing to church is what we're going to talk about today, and that is our doubts. Uh, it's something that 
we all wrestle with. It's something that I wrestle with. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, Sam, you know, you're a pastor. Do you doubt? And I think one of two different types of people ask me that question. The first type of person, uh, they want me to say, no way. You know, like I heard the call from Jesus and I've just been following him ever since and I don't look to the left or the right and he just blesses me and I don't doubt at all. I think that type of person just sort of, they want to hitch their faith on a pastor to go, well, if, if he can do it, maybe I can too. Maybe that's been your story is that you've hitched your faith on a pastor or a Christian who's talked like that and then eventually life hits them and they went down and so you went down, right? Um, and then there are the others who say, they want the answer where I say, yeah, I do doubt. And finally, there's probably one or two of you for sure in the room this morning when you hear that, I do doubt. Just go, oh. Because you've walked in and you're terrified that you're a bad Christian because you've been second-guessing the whole God thing. And what if anyone in church found out about your questions about God and life, right? And you feel like you're the only one. But we all doubt. You know, my, my tidal wave of doubt hit me at 23, 24 when I decided to leave my corporate life behind and I'd heard, I'd heard the call of God and I'd signed up for Bible college and you do all that fun, exciting stuff and then, and then the doubts start to hit. You know, I had all sorts of questions for God. I was, I was terrified. I was worried that certain types of girls wouldn't want to date me now <laughs> because they would find out I'm a pastor. I was worried about what I would, I would earn when I, when I grew up. I was, I was worried about that I'm going to not only commit four years of Bible college here, but like my entire life and my career to this thing. In the middle of it, I'm going, man, this better be true if I'm going to dedicate my career to it. I had all sorts of doubts. I doubt that I would ever drive a Porsche. I still have doubts I would ever drive a Porsche. <laughs> right? Um, but, but I have doubts, which means you know, if, you're, if you're just checking this whole Christianity thing out, you know, I want to say to you this morning that, uh, that, that, that there's some great news for you this morning. You know, first and foremost, doubts, doubts are not a Christian thing. They're a thing thing. You will have doubts about life, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. But uh, I've got good news and bad news for you this morning. The, the good news is you can just bring your questions to Christianity. You can bring your questions to Jesus, which means... You don't need to think that you've got to get everything lined up in a row and the big questions about God and the big questions of the Bible and make sure you've got all the right answers before you turn up to a community group so you don't look weird. You don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. Bring your questions. Everyone brought their questions to Jesus and he said, great, let's, let's talk about them as we walk down the road. Um, the bad news is for you is that, is that if you think that you're going to wait to the end of your life to get those questions answered, have we got any of those in the latter stages of life here? Can you just raise your hands if you've worked out all of life's questions for us this morning? Is there anyone in the room? You, know, you will go to the grave with questions because the real issue that we're going to talk about this morning is not whether or not you have doubts. You will have doubts. The question is what do you do with those doubts? Because doubts have the power to, to take you out or to make you walk out. They've got the power to take you out or they've got the power to make you walk out, walk out of a, 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 a job, walk out of a life trajectory, walk out of a marriage, walk out of a business situation, walk out of the church and even walk out of the faith. And I hate it because like time and time again I see as a pastor, particularly to those in their young adult years, you know, they, they go through that, that wrestle where Christianity just sort of starts to feel inconvenient and irrelevant. 
And they're not sure the God thing's real. And so they ditch out of church and they make crazy life decisions. And, and they spend 5 or 10 or 15 or 25 years doing this stuff. And then they eventually come back and they come back to church. Maybe this is you this morning. You've come back and you've still got just as many questions as you did before. And you go, oh, the only difference now is I've got questions. I'm just scarred and beat up. And there might even be a bit of regret mixed in with the process too. And so how we deal with our doubts is vital because it, this morning's not a question of if we're going to have them. You're going to have doubts in your faith. Doubts, <laughs> doubts, doubts can be devastating, as some of you might know, because you go, that's my story. But doubts can also build faith. Doubts can lead to intimacy. Doubts can lead to sweet times with God. Doubts can lead to a growth in your faith. Because if you... If you're hearing this for the first time or you're at a different phase in your faith journey or you're that lonely Christian this morning, worried that people are going to see that you've got doubts in your faith this morning, here's the one thing I want you to get. If you don't remember anything else, just write this down and then go to sleep. But the first point this morning is it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. Look at, look at this passage you know, in Psalm 73. Uh, who is this guy that's writing? His name's uh, Asaph. You know, I thought all the Psalms were written by David, uh, but no, no, this is a biblical writer, Asaph. Surely God is good. It says to us, this is a guy who's a believer. This is a guy who in modern terms we would say is a Christian. Surely God's good for Israel. But as for me, my feet have almost slipped. I've nearly lost my foothold. Here is a believer wrestling with doubts. And already this Psalm is going to show us a couple of things about doubts that we get straight up. First and foremost, God is not offended by your doubts, right? Do you think that God is up there with like Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Trinitarian theology, um, up there and he's going, oh my goodness, I hope, oh, I, I hope John doesn't ask that question in church. They're going to find us out. You know, like God's not insecure. He's not offended by your doubts and your questions. So bring them anyway. Bring your questions. More importantly, God is not honoured when we're not honest to God. And frankly, that, that works for your family relationships and your friendships. You know, what, what sort of good close friend, how would they feel if they discovered that you'd been wrestling with all sorts of questions and, and you didn't have the gumption to ask them over a coffee? God's not honoured when you're not honest to God. Also, most importantly, you have to have doubts, and I've preached on this before, so I'm not going to labour this point, but doubts actually make your faith stronger. I call, I call doubts faith vaccines. It's flu season at the moment, right? So some of you had your flu shots, and you are, you are crazy people. You are nuts getting a vaccine. You know, because you, you know what's a vaccine? A vaccine is when you take a very small amount of the very thing that can kill you, and you inject it into your body. And why do you do that? So over a period of time, your little antibodies in your bodies will fight until it defeats the thing that could kill you and it comes back stronger and you're immune. <laughs> Just as vaccines out of the body, so are doubts to your faith. Your faith will never get stronger unless you inject a few questions that you think might kill it. And that's why you see people, and maybe you were one of these sorts of Christians, where you grew up in a church where they locked you down and they battened you down with every right answer from the Bible. And they taught it, and you dare not speak up in community group because you might have been a heretic. 
because you had questions and then you grew up in that. Maybe it was your mum's faith or your dad's faith or your brother and sister's faith and you grew up in that environment and then you go out to places like university and the workplace and people had all sorts of questions and they just popped you like a bubble, just disappeared. You've got to have doubts in order to strengthen your faith. And that's what Asaph was saying. He's saying, surely God's good. God's God's good, but I'm struggling. And so here's where we get the definition of what doubt is. Surely God is good to Israel, but to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, I've almost slipped. Now, the imagery there is someone who's climbing a mountain. He's climbing up a mountain and then his foot slips off. It's like a scene out of Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. You know that great movie? We need to put that in the Pillinger Library. It's just, just, just hanging, hanging by a thread, a couple of fi- fingers worth. And what the biblically, biblical imagery is saying is this is someone who is on the edge of losing their faith. Ever felt that way before? And so he's saying, surely I know, I know God is good. I know that God is good, but I'm so far on the edge, I feel like I'm losing my faith. And so we, we get a sense of what's happening here. Here's a definition for doubt. Doubt is a form of spiritual dizziness, a spiritual vertigo that, that, that where your mind becomes f- confused so you miss the next step, right? You're spun around and around and around by life and suddenly you've become spiritually dizzy. And there's lots of different ways that the Bible defines what what doubt is, there's lots of different words. There's a great one in Luke's gospel where uh, it says Herod was puzzled. The Greek word underneath puzzled was apareo. Apareo meant to be on a path, on a direction, on a road where you know exactly where you're going. Whereas apareo means uh, to be at a crossroads, to be not sure, to work out which way you are. Modern terms, you'd define apareo as analysis paralysis. Any, anyone had that before? Uh, my other favourite one, which, is, which has become my new Christian swear word. Uh, we pastors have to have a whole dictionary full of Christian swear words because we dare not swear like the rest of you. Um. And it's from James chapter 1. You know, Anyone who has faith and then doubts is like a reed who's been tossed around in the wind. And the Greek word underneath that word for doubt there is my new favourite word, dipsukos. Oh, you're a dipsukos. Um, See, it's good, isn't it? You could use it. Dipsukos literally means uh, to, be, had to have two psyches, two psyches, two mentalities, to be in two minds, to be two-minded. Have you ever felt that? You, know, you have dipsukos all the time. You know, Kristen, you have dipsukos just about every day. We've got to go to work. Hun, what shall I wear? This one or that one or this one or that one? I call that closet dipsukos. <laughs> I'm a dipsukos shopper. I never know which, should I buy this one or this one or this one, or, right? So look, here's the point is, doubt is this spiritual disorientation that happens, that can seize you up, that can spin you around, that can disorient you. And at the smaller scale, you can have doubts as to what you're going to wear to work on that day. At the big level, it's do I even believe God anymore? And here's how they come about, because when we know how they come about, then they won't surprise us. It'll help us to react to them a little bit better. Verse 3, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
God is good. But as for me, what, what Asaph's saying there is something in particular came in that caused my doubt. And so these, he says here, this is what comes in. And, you know, this is such a, this is such a parallel to our society today. We think these ancient people, you know, this, they're so different from us. Look, look at what he's, what he's got a gripe about. He looks at the people around him and he says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong at the gym. And they're free from the common human burdens like earning a living for themselves. And they're not plagued by human ills. They're not dealing with arthritis and all the stuff that's happening. They scoff and they speak with malice in those corporate boardrooms. And they threaten oppression through all the power that they have. That's what they're like. You know, what's, what's his gripe? He's looked around and he's seen the society around him. He's saying, God, look at, look at everyone else. They're beautiful. They're rich. They're getting all the good things happening to them. And yet I'm turning up to church every day. I'm praying. I'm doing the time. I'm serving you. And what have I got? It's not fair. And so see what's come into his life? This sense of injustice has come in. And it's hit him and it's gone to his soul. And, and as he's watched it, he's been, he's been started to spin around on those little whirlybird things you see in kids' playgrounds. And so he's just spiritually dizzy. How's this fair? How's this fair? It's too hard. So it shows us now what doubts really are. Here's what they really are. Um, doubts are where something comes into your life that causes your personal experience, your heart, your emotions to feel different from what your head knows to be true. You God, I know that you're good and I know that you're looking after me and I know that your plans are for me and I know that you are watching over me and I know that you guide me, but it's not fair. How could this be happening to me if you're a good God and you're a great God and you're the God on my side? Because they're all getting the good stuff. And they're not on your team. See, see the anger and the frustration in this book? What's this doing in the Bible? <laughs> so from there he's disoriented. He can't take it anymore. And then it's Stallone. It's like cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger moment. And we each, you know, Christians, I'm sure many of you have been there in those cliffhanger moments. And I know what they feel like. It's that moment where that injustice comes in or something comes in. Something I've seen it for people time and time again in church life where, where you're serving God and you're praying and you're being good and then, then a health issue comes in or your business goes bust or something happens to one of your kids or that relationship that you've been praying for doesn't eventuate. And you go, surely God's good, but as for me, I don't know if he's good to me. Then you get to that moment where it's just almost too much to bear that, that you start saying to yourself, you know what, I think it would almost be easier. Easier just to run off and get into whatever relationship I want to. Easier just to ditch the marriage because everyone else who ditched their marriage seems like they're having heaps of fun and when you ditch your marriage, you're just like a 16-year-old again except now you've got a credit card and you can do what you want. It's easier to just give up on God's plans for relationships. It's just, it's just easier. And then we're at risk of that, what I call the unfollow moment. It's like if God was on Facebook, you just, just unclick. I'm out. 
Now he paused, he paused for a second there in all of that because, because what, what, what does it mean to be right on that edge of an, of an unfollow moment with God? I, I, it's, it, I know what it, it, it feels like because I, I wrestle through these moments as well when life builds up. And, and you know what? I, I think it's that moment that is um, scary and it's horrible. I think the best way to describe it is it's like uh, anyone been on a roller coaster on that first two to three seconds that you go over the big hill. You know that sick feeling that comes up in your stomach where you ask yourself the question, I'm not sure if I can really bear this sick feeling any longer and I'm just wondering how much longer it's going to last. I think that's what happens when we get spiritually dizzy. You start crying out to God going, I don't don't know how much longer I can take this. So thankfully, um, if you feel that this morning, if you feel that, here's what I need you to hear. That is a God-given opportunity. That's your signal. That's, that's the tension point where you're going, okay, if I feel that way, let's have a look at the way that Asaph does it. But there are some things now where God can deal with my doubt and there's some steps that I can take in order to push through this. And the first thing that we see Asaph doing is this, is that he calls out his doubt. Call out your doubt. And what I mean by that is that there's always hidden motivations behind your doubt. And Asaph got this. Surely God's good to Israel, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. And then in verse 3, he says, And then, for I envied them. What, what I love about verse 3 is that Asaph has the gumption to call himself out. He goes, Why am I feeling this? Because I'm jealous. Because I'm jealous. I'm just jealous. And so do you think Asaph would have been having these doubts if everything was going great and God had blessed him with a big bank account and all the other blessings that went with it? No, of course not. You know, Asaph with his jealousy starts to to make that mistake that we can all make as Christians, that mistaken equation that we, we have. And he discovers this for himself, that he was making that equation that goes like this, that if life is good, then God is good. And that if life is bad, God is bad. Or mad. And Asaph's going, oh man, I'm just jealous and I'm standing upon a mistaken understanding of God. So he calls it out. So the first thing you do in doubt is you ask yourself, could I have motive here? Then he does the second thing here. Then he digs out his doubt. You dig out your doubt. Because it says in verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away? What he's talking about there is saying, okay, I'm now going to analyze the foundations for my, for my belief. And he starts comparing and saying, okay, well, I'm jealous of these people over here, but look at their foundation. That's slippery ground. That's not going to hold out. The only way that you find out what those foundations are is you dig, right? You, you are not going to see the foundations of your reaction just by stepping back and having a look. You dig, you, you peel away, you look back, you analyze, you think. And so when you come to that moment in life where you're starting to doubt or you feel jealous or you feel life's unfair, you start looking at, well, what's the alternative here? It's that moment where like if, if you're so frustrated that you're still single and that everyone else is in a relationship, you're like, no, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm just going to live life however I want. You know, maybe, maybe you're living on a foundation that says a website or Tinder has got more power to bring you the person that God wants for your life than God himself. Does that make sense? You analyse the footholds of what sort of belief you're going to be standing upon or you say, I'm going to stand 
upon God. So you dig, you dig, you, you, you work it out, you, you say. Maybe, maybe if I'm in business and I'm frustrated that my business is not going the way that my business should be going and everyone else seems to have it right and everyone else seems to be going great and everyone else is making a profit, maybe you're saying, hang on, um, is, is the foundation of profit or the sale of your business the only benchmark for purpose in your life? Or maybe just maybe, God, you are teaching me something in this. This making sense? You've got you to dig for the foundation behind your doubt, underneath your doubt. Once you've done those two things, I reckon this is the best advice that Asaph gives, it, gives us. Um, you call it out, you dig it out. Most of all, don't freak out. <laughs> Maybe that's just what most of you got to hear this morning. Don't freak out. And what I mean by that is you just rest in your restlessness. I think one of the things that scares us the most as Christians is when that life hits us, oh my goodness, I've got doubts. We sort of start becoming scared of the doubts in and of themselves. But look at what Asaph says here. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, and yet I'm always with you, and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. You know, there's, there's a great hymn called The Solid Rock that describes the dynamic of doubt. It says, When darkness hides his lovely face, I rest upon his unchanging grace. I rest in the restlessness. And look at the beauty of the grace here in all of this. Asaph says, I was an animal towards you. I was honest before you. I was a brute beast. I was an animal before you. And yet I'm always with you. And yet you hold my right hand. Look at that beautiful picture of grace. You know, if any of you know or have been blessed to have that scenario with little kids where you take them to the shops and you don't buy them the toy that they want and the reaction that comes from that and the anger and the scorn... (laughs) And what happens, they, they dream up everything. They dream up the meanest thing that they could possibly say to you. And as they're walking through the shops with your hand, by the way, so they don't get lost, they look at you and say, Daddy, you're a poo-poo. <laughs> right? All of it. What's he saying? I said you're a poo-poo and you never let me go. I think God, when you bring your doubts to him and you're finally honest to God, I think, I think he looks upon you with a loving cheekiness. He's like, my child, of course I know what you're going through. And of course I know what you're struggling with. And I'm with you. <clears throat> doubts are horrible. <laughs> Aren't they? <clears throat> they suck. Can I say that in church? Doubts suck. <laughs> We're just being real with our emotions. Might as well just be honest. It's horrible. I hate, I hate the feeling. And, you know, I, my doubts didn't end, you know, as a 23-year-old. I, you know, this, is a, this is a weekly wrestle as the things of life press in for me. A weekly wrestle. Of course we have doubts. And the thing that I come back to 
It's what the psalmist and Asaph says in all of this. Who, am I, who, have I, who have I got in heaven except for you? In other words, this is horrible and this sucks, but what's the alternative? I think that's what we've each got to come to the realisation this morning when we have this, is it's not a fun process. But to whom shall we go? You know, that, that was the great line from Peter. You know, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, does an amazing miracle, they see it with their own eyes. Then he starts talking about drinking people's flesh, uh, drinking people's blood, eating their flesh. They say, this is hard teaching. Everyone unfollows Jesus. They, they defriend him on Facebook. They're no longer popular anymore. You know, and Jesus is so despondent because all, everyone else that was following left him and he turns to the disciples and says, so what, you're going to leave me now too? And Peter says those wonderful words. He says, Lord, to, to whom else shall we go? And the deep wrestle for you and I is, well, well, who else are we going to go to? Who else will measure up? Doubts constantly whisper to us, what if it's true? What if it's true? And Jesus whispers to us, well, if it's not, then to who? Who are you going to go? Who are you going to follow? Who's going to guide you through what you're facing? You know, as I finish this morning, there's a, there's a great story of a great Christian that had doubts. I love that. I get encouraged by that. You know, maybe it's just, I don't, I don't think it's reveling in someone else's problems, but it sort of kind of is. And I just feel encouraged that a great Christian could go through the same thing. And that Christian's name was William Wilberforce. Does that name ring a bell? He was the parliamentarian in England that pretty much abolished slavery. And Wilberforce was um, terrified. He needed some strength and some advice. And he was terrified to meet an Anglican minister called John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And he was terrified. And he writes in his journal in 1785 this. And it was a risk to meet him because people would have disowned him. And he writes this. I wish to have some serious conversation with you. I've had 10,000 doubts within myself whether or not I should discover myself to you. But every argument against it has in it its foundation in pride. Hear that? That's just an application of what we've just been learning for the last 10 minutes. What do you do? Called it out. Dug it out. I don't want to meet with you because I'm prideful. I'm worried about what it's going to look like. And then Newton eventually writes back to Wilberforce two years later, and here's what he says to him. It's hoped and it's believed that the Lord has raised you up for the good of his church and for the good of the nation. And when I hear that, I think, what hung in the balance of that guy's doubts when he said, what if he had never written the letter? What if doubts had have, you know, taken him out or made him walk out at that point in time? What would have happened? Would slavery have still exist today if he just didn't pick up his doubts and go ahead anyway? And what I want to encourage you with this morning is you pick up your doubts and you bring them with Jesus. The big question for you and I is this, that if we allow our doubts to take us out, you may never know. You may never know what God would have done if you had allowed your doubts to get the better of you. And please do not think because you are 60 or 70 or 80 that this is something just for the young people. It takes a word. It takes a letter. It, it takes a phone call. It takes a warm hug to start a movement of goodness throughout history. There are plans and purposes that God has for you and if you allow the doubts to get the better of you, then who knows what could happen? And so how are you dealing with your emotions? Are you 
<laughs> are you a slave to them or are you stuffing them down, pushing them down, pushing them down, pushing them down? And look, I, I, I get it too. The Bible's not going to answer everything in the space of 20 minutes. But if, if, you're a, if you're a bit newer to Christianity or you're checking this out this morning, I, I want you to hear, hey, bring the questions, bring your uncertainty. I say to you this morning, just, just follow Jesus anyway. Don't commit your life to him. Just, just read him. Read about him in the, in the Bible. Follow him anyway and see what sort of sense that he makes. Bring your questions with you because you're still going to have a few towards the end of your life. But Christians, how, how are we relating to God now, how, how are we processing our emotions? Do we think we have to have it all together? Are we stuffing it down and down and down? Just bring them. Just bring them raw and ugly and angry. Because you know what? I tell you, the minute that you walk out of those doors this morning, the minute that you do that and we're out of the quietness we're about to receive, the minute we head out there, all of us are going to put on our best face. And you are going to spend the next six days... Being, let's be real with it, technically dishonest with everyone else in your life. And if there is one place in the world where it's okay not to be okay, then it's here. And it's this moment as we come to communion. That if we can't be honest with anyone else in our lives to the very depths of our soul, at least be honest to God. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, help us. I pray for every person in this place, particularly that person who's sitting shoulder to shoulder with people they think of doing life well and got it together and they feel the loneliness that they're the only one, that they're the only one that's struggling with fears and anxieties and grief and bitterness and resentment, a whole gamut of things that could be happening for them this morning. Lord, I pray for them and I would ask that you would meet us in the silence and in this space this morning. Thank you that your word says that your spirit talks to you on our behalf. It lifts up to you those prayers in the deepest parts of our soul that are too angry and too ugly and that have been caught off and cordoned off and cauterized from you because we think that it would be ungodly of us to share it with you. Holy Spirit, take those now. And we would ask, Lord Jesus that in this moment as we take the bread and the cup, that in that spiritual sense we would feel your guiding hand upon our lives, that we would know and we would rejoice and that we would celebrate that you, would, you are with us and that you would not leave us and that you're here with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we do this every week as a church. Not because it's a religious tradition, because it was Jesus' invitation to his followers. We take communion, we remember him. We take the bread, his body broken for us, and the cup, his blood spilt for us. As a tangible reminder, as I say, that Jesus had, had the gumption to, to do everything that he would call you and I to this morning. To be encouraged and to be aware of and to be comforted by the fact that Jesus too had his own doubts. In the garden, Father, if there's any way that you can fix this mess without me having to go to the cross, can you work it out? I'm not sure. I'm feeling so spiritually dizzy. I'm sweating drops of blood. And yet he said, not my will, but your will be done. 
So as we remember that this morning, may um, his carrying of his doubts to the cross be the example for us to carry ours to his as we do that this morning. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, as I said, we just, we just think he's the wisest, smartest guy that ever lived. More than that, we believe he's God. And I said, bring the questions, think. Hey, maybe this is this moment for you in this place of all places to go. It's okay not to be okay. And to pray to him and talk to him in your own head, not out aloud. God, if you're real, if this thing's happening, then show me something, do something, bring the right people into my life, reveal something to me. Stop, sit and reflect in that moment. But let's eat, drink and remember him. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.